Welcome and thank you for joining us. At Worship Harvest, we believe that we are a movement of the gospel, discipleship and mission. And we are committed to catalyzing spiritual, social and economic renewal in our immediate communities and as a result, the world. Here is this week's teaching. This is Church, Episode 7, Season 1. And we are talking about the power of oikos. Now you may ask, who is oikos? What is oikos? You're going to find out. Oikos is an ancient Greek word that refers to three related but distinct concepts. The family, the family's property, and the house, which means the household. Oikos really is household, right? So I want you to think about that uh, as we get into today's message. Okay? It was the basic unity of society, and in the context of families, it referred to a line of descent from father to son. The term was sometimes used to refer to everyone living in a given house. All right? So in contemporary times, the word oikos is used to describe social groups, networks of relationships. All right. So all of you, you have a group of friends and family who relate to you through work, hobbies, uh, the bar, neighbors, and most importantly, church. In our context, missional communities. That is the oikos. And that's what I want us to talk about today. Today, you have to sort of switch on your, 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 your gray matter. You're going to need it. If you ask me what it is, that's initially the problem. Yeah. Because we are going to think together. Today you are not attending church. Today you are part of a strategy meeting. Amen. You are part of a strategy meeting. We are coming together to think about how we shall win. That's what strategy is all about. How we shall win. So this is a strategy meeting. I'm going to read for you two excerpts from okay, one is an article, one is okay, both are articles actually. Online. Okay. This thing started interesting me when I read a book by Malcolm Gladwell called The Outliers. How many people have read Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell? Yeah. Quite a few hands. Uh, next time I ask how many people have read uh, certain books, huh? and you are, you are in worship harvest, your hand needs to go up. Yeah, like we are a reading church. In fact, we are the most reading church I know of in Uganda. If you are not a reader, you are just hanging on. Uh, you don't know what's happening. For us here, we read. Some people here read a book a week. If you are in worship harvest, you're worst. Reading knowledge should be two books a month. Yeah, we are we are readers. Yeah. <clears throat> the key of knowledge. Jesus told the lawyers, "What to you, lawyers? For you've taken away the key of knowledge. Once you lack knowledge, you don't have the key. That's why you're banging the wall and the and the door. 
it's on someone else's mercy to open for you or not. That's why people are always looking for breakthrough when all they need is a key. When you have a key, you don't need a breakthrough. Ha! My goodness, that's revelation right there. <laughs> when you have a key, you don't need a breakthrough. You just open and go in. Uh, I'm preaching better than you're listening. Yeah. You look, if you've not been reading, it's not my problem. Just start. Get an app. It's called Scribd. You pay only $8 a month. That's cheaper than Netflix. Cheaper than DSTV. It's probably cheaper than all these other TV things. And you start growing. You, you see, in worship service, we are going to be that church of people who are so different. So different. Yeah. People will not click us. Hey, what? Who, who gave you permission to think like that? Yeah. Yeah, we just move progress fast. Things that take people 20, 30 years to do, we are going to be doing them in two, two to five years. But you need the key of knowledge. So start reading. So Malcolm Gladwell wrote this book, Outliers. And there's something he talks about called the Rosetta Mystery. It's the opening part of the book. So I just picked this article online. So let me read it. The Rosetta Effect is the phenomenon named after Rosetta, Pennsylvania, by which a close-knit community experienced a reduced rate of heart disease and other medical and social problems of the day. The Rosetta Effect was first noticed in 1961 when the local Rosetta doctor encountered Stuart Wolf, then head of medicine of the University of Oklahoma, and they discussed over a cup of beers the unusually low rate of myocardial infarction in the Italian-American community of Rosetta compared with other locations. So at that time in the 50s and 60s, the leading killer of people was heart attacks especially men of between 50 and 65. Men 50 and 65 died of heart attacks. The way nowadays people are scared of cancer, it was heart attacks back then. So, if, if somehow you went past 50, 55, and you haven't got a heart attack, it was quite a celebration. So, so many studies followed, including a 50-year study comparing Rosetta to nearby Bangor, another city nearby. From 1954 to 1961, Rosetta had nearly no heart attacks for the otherwise high-risk group of men 55 to 64. And men over 65 had a death rate of 1%, while the national average was 2%. In other words, Men over 65 in Rosetta, on, that death rate was half the national average. Okay, and then it says, very uniquely, widowers outnumbered widows as well. So men were living longer than women, which was not the case back then, because at that time, the women mainly worked at home, and men worked in factories. At that time, America was heavily industrialized. And because of the work they did in those environments, they were subject to a lot of things that caused them these sicknesses. That's why men were dying. But the men of Rosetto were not dying. 
These statistics were at odds with a number of other factors observed in the community. So first of all, they thought maybe it was because of the Italian diet they came with from Italy or something to do with where they came from. They soon discovered it had nothing to do with what was going on there. So he says, uh, they smoked unfiltered stogies, like, you know, crude kind of cigarettes. They drank wine with seeming abandon. They skipped the Mediterranean diet in favor of meat, meatballs and sausages fried in lard instead of olive oil, which is where they came from. So they were just eating, doing every wrong thing. And soft cheeses. The men worked in the slate quarries where they contracted illnesses from gases and dust. Rosetto also had very little crime and very few applications for public assistance. Wolf attributed Rosetta's lower heart disease rate to lower stress. The community, Wolf says, was very cohesive. There was no keeping up with the Joneses. Houses were very close together and everyone lived more or less alike. Elders were respected and incorporated into the community life. Housewives were respected and fathers ran the families. These people were dying of old age. That's it. So they looked at all the factors and they realized the difference between Rosetto and the other places was that they had a very good social life. They would sit around in the evenings, talk about Italian stories, what. They ate together as families. In Outliers, he says that you would find that in some houses, you would find three generations of family living together in one house. The grandfather, the, the uncles, the parents, the aunties, all in one house. The children living together. And that's how the Rosetta mystery was discovered. The social life, the cohesion. So imagine, if, if you have children, imagine your parents are living with you, your brothers and sisters are living with you, and their spouses and their children in one big household. That is what is called an oikos. That's the oikos. So, Rosettans were not dying. They were eating pizza. They were eating meatballs, sausages. They were frying with lard instead of oil. They were not dying. It had nothing to do with anything apart from the way they lived. You may say, why are you taking us through all this sociology? Here is another article from historyfuturenow.com. The concept of a nuclear family is relatively recent. It is first mentioned in the Oxford Dictionary in 1925 and refers to a household that consists of a mother, father, and their children. It is recent because the cost of establishing a household has been historically very high and young couples simply could not afford to do so. It was the economic ability to live separately that then enabled the significant social change of splitting up the extended family into nuclear families. History Future now believes that the nuclear family is a historical aberration and ultimately doomed to fail.
The nuclear family is a historical aberration, ultimately doomed to fail. You think that this idea of father, mother, two kids is ancient. No, it started less than 100 years ago. And it has not worked. It's been one of the greatest pains to human history is the nuclear family. Because you're there by yourselves, you don't have food, <laughs> you're quarreling with your wife, there's no one to, they, 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 it's not working. The kids don't know their cousins. The nuclear family has led to the decimation and death of Europe. Europe's population is dying. It's only being refilled by immigrants from uh, the Arabian Peninsula and Africa because of the nuclear family. Some people in America have realized it and they are trying to correct it, but it's too late. The culture is too strong. Now, unfortunately, we Africans have followed their footsteps, built our houses with high boundary walls and are having two kids. When you have two kids... Uh, okay. In many parts of the world today... <laughs> guys, <laughs> I have to preach. In many parts of the world today, the extended family remains the norm. Most families in Latin America, Africa, and the Middle East, and parts of Southern Europe live in households that are multi-generation in their makeup, with grandparents, parents, and children all living under the same roof. In some countries, such as Iraq, the extended family concept is so broad that the marriage of first cousins is encouraged, keeping the wealth and the family even closer together. In the West, if you go as far back as the late Roman Republic and the early Roman Empire, the pater families, fam, the pater familias concept extended not just to all the immediate family members living in a household, but also to a vast retinue of slaves, freedmen, and clients. So this is where even the people who buy from your household are considered part of your family, your oikos. The breakup of the extended family in the West was triggered by the Industrial Revolution, which was a major driver of internal and external migrations. Young men and women would leave their family households and go into temporary lodgings near their place of work. Eventually, they would marry and set up a home away from their extended families. And what are the social and economic results? Divorce, brokenness, multiple relationships outside of covenant, reducing populations, pain. That's the result. So it's against that background that we bring to you the wisdom of Oikos, which is from the Bible. Mark chapter 1, verse 29 to 30. Let's read together now. As soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and, and John. Uh -huh. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And Simon's mother-in-law also was living there. That's how they lived. And Jesus, having begun his ministry in Nazareth, Luke chapter 4, 
18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and being rejected in Nazareth, because the prophet is not welcome in his own house, in his own town, he left Nazareth because his oikos rejected him. His own brothers didn't believe him. His own people didn't believe him. And he couldn't just operate independently and say, if you don't believe it's okay, me, I'm going to do my ministry. No. He had to find a house that received him. So he moved his ministry from Nazareth to Capernaum, also known as Capernaum or Capernaum, depending on where you went to school. So when he came to Capernaum, he found this household, the house of Peter. If you've been watching Chosen, The Chosen, you know that you can relate what I'm saying to what you've been watching. If you haven't watched The Chosen, it's free. It's one of the most amazing uh, series you'll ever watch. It's not on Netflix. <clears throat> but if you type in The Chosen, they will direct you to which website you can go watch season one. They are now on season two. They've released up to episode four. Really, really informative. It will show you how these places actually work. So, Jesus enters the house of Simon. Simon Peter. And he became a member of that household. Jesus operated in Oikos. Jesus wasn't an independent person who had his own house. Because he was alone. He didn't have children. His family was in Nazareth. So he didn't hire a room in Capernaum and start ministry. But rather he went and found a household. So you're talking about Simon was married. Simon had a wife. I don't know about Andrew. Probably. Could have been married also, his brother. And then these other, the sons of Zebedee, they were part of the household of Zebedee, but then they came together into this household. Simon's mother's, Simon's wife's mother was there. So you can imagine there were many other people living in that house. And then Jesus also <laughs> was in that house. Luke 10, 5 to 7. Are, are you picking something? I told you today you'll need the gray matter working. We are not lifting chairs and shouting yet. Together. But whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. Uh -huh. And if the son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. Uh -huh. And remain in that same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. So this was Jesus' instruction to his disciples. Like, you have gone for ministry. This is how we are going to operate. You find a house. A household. These households were not households of four people. Father, mother, two kids. These were an average household at that time was somewhere between 30 and 70 people living together. 30 and 70 people. I can guarantee you they were much happier than you are right now. Their marriages were much better than yours right now. They had supply for everything they wanted much better than you have right now. Even though they lived in a very difficult time in history. But that cohesion is what made the houses work. Remember the upper room? How many people were there in the house? 120 people in the upper room. That's a, someone's house. In America today, people have started trying to recover that. 
You see, that's why Thanksgiving is a big holiday. It's not the turkey. It's the idea that you can be together with all the uncles, aunties, what? And some people have started that, moving back into community living. They're experimenting with it. Because they realize renting a room in a hostel and living by yourself is not life. You were created for community, not isolation. You can add years to your life by just moving in with other families. I'm telling you. It's a quiet Yeah. So. Acts chapter 2, 46 to 47. Uh-huh. Together. So continuing daily with an accord in the temple and breaking bread huh? from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. How did the early church flourish? House to house. Eating food together. Sharing food. Studying the word together. Isn't that just like a missional community? You see, today, it's not possible for me to bring you together with your uncles and aunties. But as a spiritual family, we can create these environments where you don't live in isolation. It's what we've been saying all along. Join a missional community. Don't live in isolation. Find a family of brothers and sisters and do life together. They will not be perfect. Neither will you be perfect. That's what makes family life. If you're looking for perfection, go to heaven. If you're looking for love and to be loved and to love others, join a mission or community. You will have a little bit of heaven on earth. A little bit of heaven on earth. Our friend, Pastor Isaac Wakweka's mom passed on on Wednesday night. I woke up on Thursday to that message. And the first thing I did, shower, go to the hospital. Why? Because we are family. My regret was that I was not able to see her before she passed. Because I, the reports were good. She was recovering. So I was like, I'm going to go see Isaac's mom. Until I got that message. On Friday, we drove, because my car tracks the distance I drive in a day, 560 kilometers to go to Barry and back. Why? We are family. Right? Don't do life alone. It hinders the mission. Even Jesus knew the way to take mission is house. The New Testament church knew the way to take mission forward is house. Today, the oikos is broken. It's no longer working at, at, at the natural level, but we can recreate it. Pastor Angela is here. Her house, the penthouse, Sunset Apartments, I-31, is like an oikos. And then you go there, there will be someone from worship fathers who spent the night, who is spending the week, who is doing what? It is yeah. Same with the Yamanzis. Same with our house in Kiri Town. When we have family events in my family, they include these people. 
Yeah. And my family knows it now. If you have a family event, the Yamazis are going to be there, Okulos are going to be there, Subukas are going to be there. Yeah. Sebombos are going to be there. It's, it's now family and others, many of them. And I can tell you, our lives are so much richer than, than like, I, could, I wouldn't trade my life for him. In fact, my house, our house, we have how many? One, two, three, four, five bedrooms. We are going to be adding probably another four or six bedrooms so that more of you can come around. Amen. We are family. We are family. Don't be there and you have no food when people are throwing food away. In the same mouth, family. The Sebombos, we have dinner together. Every Monday they come home for dinner. So they are, they are now real family. Yeah, not, not, this one is not even just Mboba, what we met at the church. No, real Lolo family. Yes, you try it. Acts 5.42. And daily in the temple, are we here? Daily in the temple and what? In every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Then we come to the guy who understood this concept the best in the New Testament and that's why he had the greatest impact. His name is Paul the Apostle. Paul had the greatest impact because he understood heavenly strategy. Oikos. I wish I had time to tell you more about these guys. But see what, how, how it starts. Acts 8.3. Acts 8.3. Let's read together. Read as if your voice works. Uh-huh. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So that's how he starts. He starts on the other side. So these guys are being persecuted, so they are no longer going to the temple. So I think the temple authorities are like, we've sorted them. The church cannot grow anymore. Why? They were now doing life in Oikos. So Paul, being a little more clever than the rest, were like, you guys, we are here wasting time thinking there is no church growing because they are not at the temple. They are in the houses. Give me documents to go and arrest. So he started going for them. House to house, arresting believers. On his way to Damascus, Right? He was going to Damascus. Jesus himself, something very unusual which you don't see anywhere else in the Bible. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send a messenger. He had to intervene personally. Jesus, I want you to think about it. When you see Jesus intervening personally, it means this is critical. Personally, he threw him off the horse and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In other words, you're killing me where it hurts the most. You see, if you want to kill this church, worship harvest, forget the buildings. Forget the location. Go for the missional community. 
Go for, if you want to kill worship harvest. Because these people, 2,000 people are now coming to the Lord every month. Through where? Missional communities. Go for the MC and you don't have worship harvest. You don't have the impact we are talking about. You don't have the salvations we are talking about. If you want to kill worship harvest, discourage an MC leader. To do whatever. Then I will intervene personally. Yeah, I will pray prayers for you that you'll never hear on the microphone. Yeah. And you, you don't even think there will be the kind of prayers that can lead your life to being flourishing. <laughs> Jesus had to come personally, throw Saul off the horse and say, you are kicking against the pricks. You're killing me, dude. Cut off his sight. They led him to Damascus. Then they sent another man. He said, go to the house of who? Some guy. He came. That's how the church was saved. By Jesus intervening personally. Otherwise, he was going to die. And what happened? When Paul recovered, he used the same strategy. Because remember, Paul had three or four missionary journeys. The first one, he went with Barnabas. Remember Barnabas? Now Barnabas was a Levite. And because he was a Levite, he knew Levite things. Synagogue. So when they went, the first missionary journey, they went to Cyprus because that was Barnabas' birthplace. They, always, they went where? That was Barnabas' Jerusalem. And what did they do? They went to the synagogues. They would always go to the synagogues first. Then chaos would break out, arguments, beatings, what? Then they go next door. Then on his secondary, second missionary journey, he went to Corinth, ETC. Then on the third, when he went to Philippi, that's when his eyes were opened. He, he went to the, there was no synagogue, so that was a blessing. But people used to pray by the river, so he went there. And they were sharing, and the Bible says that the, the, the Lord opened the eyes of a woman called Lydia who started to understand the things Paul was talking about. This one woman saved. This one woman, Lydia, is responsible for global Christianity today. Yeah. In Philippi, a businesswoman who traded purple. So she understood what Paul was talking about. Her heart was open. And she begged them and said, if you have considered me worthy, come to my house. So Paul and his dudes, all men, go to Lydia's house. Lydia was like, a, a, she ran a fashion house with models. Now imagine the chaos. And that's how the Oikos concept in Paul's ministry was born. From that time, he started doing house to house. When he went to Ephesus, house, house. He, Paul's greatest ministry was in Ephesus. Three years. The Bible says all of Asia had the gospel all of Asia. The anointing on Paul's life in Ephesus was so much they took handkerchiefs from his body and they were healing people distant lands away and casting out demons. See what he tells them in Acts 20, 20 21 when he's, when he's on his way to, to Jerusalem. He says, how I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly he, he hired the whole of Tyrannus and from house to house 
testifying to Jews and to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm out of time. Yeah. Rodney Stark, sociologist, writes in his book, The Rise of Christianity. He says, he, he makes a compelling social scientific case showing how, among others, the method of organizing oikos was one of the major reasons why a cult that began with only 120 people and took over half of the Roman Empire in 250 years without any violence or forceful conquest. Joseph Myers talks about the four spaces of belonging. The public space is like this. It's about sharing a common experience in a larger space, like public worship service, a football game, a regional or city gathering. In the Bible, that was the temple and the crowds that gathered around Jesus. The social space is where people select a community to belong to, more like a mid-sized group of 20 to 40 people. It's a missional community. It's the Oikoso household. This was the most dynamic space that led to the Roman Empire becoming Christian. Then there's the personal space. It's where we connect through private relationships, 8 to 15 people. Social space is 20 to 40 people. And then intimate space, where it's one-on-one. -on -one. Jesus had Peter, James, and John. Now, there is a resurgence of Oikos today. Amen. The guy we read from, Mike Breen, if you have not read Mike Breen books, they're available here at Worship Harvest, Building a Discipling Culture, Leading Missional Communities. He was the originator, he was the experimenter-in-chief. He started experimenting with missional communities at St. Thomas Crooks, an Anglican church in the UK. Now, when they started, the church grew, and they outgrew their space. So they went downtown Sheffield and hired a discotheque and things were happening now one time the fire department came and found them in violation of fire codes the way the building had been wired so they were shut down for a year they couldn't meet publicly for a year by the time they, re they redid the building and invited people back there were more people than they are before. Oikos was at work. They had more than 200 missional communities in that church. In a 10-year span, Mike Brin says they wedded 700 couples in 10 years. And at the time he was writing this article, they had heard of only three divorces out of 700 couples. In the UK, you don't know the divorce rates in the UK. Three out of 700. The power of Oikos. Can I tell you about worship harvest? More than 8,000 people are in missional communities in worship harvest. More than 8,000. Today, there are 499 missional communities. Just one short of 500. Leading now, I should stop using this number. It's no longer accurate. I used to say more than 1,000 people to Christ a week. It's now 2,000 plus people are being led to Christ a month, serving the frontier every month. 
Psalm 92 verse 13 to 14 as I've concluded. <sighs> Psalm 92. What does it say? Those who are planted in the house of the Lord. That mission of community is the house of the Lord. Shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. The power of Oikos. Today, be planted. Join a missional community. Things are happening. Don't be left behind. Don't be left out. Amen. Why don't we pray? Why don't we pray? Thank you, Father. We exalt you. We glorify you. You can stand on your feet and just start praying in the spirit. We bless your name. Thank you. Thank you for, thank you for the power of Oikos. Thank you. We honor you. We glorify you. We bless you. You have blessed us so much. You've blessed, you've loved this church so much that you showed us something that we couldn't find out by ourselves and you are using us because of our following what you've ordered us to do. So we bless you. We thank you. May your name be praised. Come on, people, just lift your voices and pray in the spirit. We bless you, Lord. Oh, we glorify your name. Thank you for our mission of communities. Thank you for the mission of community leaders, Lord. Thank you for the great work they do, the sacrifices they make to keep advancing your kingdom. Loving people, shepherding people, raising leaders, sending leaders. Thank you, Lord. We are thankful for our MC leaders today and the court shepherds who watch over them. We are grateful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We bless them, Lord. May you fulfill all your goodness toward them. All your goodness, all your promises, every good thing. May they never give up. Take out of their way everyone who wants to bring chaos to help to get them to give up. I eliminate them in the name of Jesus. Let them go away. Let them go to other places, but not stay in that place. We pave a way for them. We speak speed, acceleration, growth, multiplication. Because we know it is your work that they've given their lives to. We bless you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, we can't close this service without giving you an opportunity to give your life to Jesus if you haven't done that. Amen. Those who are watching us online on Spirit TV, who are listening to us on television, on, on radio, this is your time. This is your moment. Amen. Amen. So I just want you, if you've not given your life to Jesus before, or if you've walked with him and you've moved back, you know you're not walking with the Lord today. He wants to love you. He wants to heal you. There's so much power in this place. God wants to move that mountain. Someone here, you're facing an insurmountable situation. God wants to take care of it. 
So if you're here or online at your hosting center, at your location, I just want to put your right hand up right now as everyone continues to mind their business of prayer. Just put your hand up and I'm going to pray with you. Thank you, my brother. Someone else, put your hand up. Put your hand up right straight up where you are. Thank you, my, thank you, my sister up. I see your hand. I need someone to run up to the gallery quickly. Someone else, someone else. Pastors, move quickly. Don't, 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 don't be slow about this. If, just put your hand up straight. Right hand up straight. Thank you, my sister. I've seen your hand right here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Is there someone there? Quickly, quickly, quickly. Someone else. We are waiting for you. This is your day. This is your day for salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Today. Thank you, my sister. I've seen your hand to my extreme left. Let's move. Move, move. Pastors, move quickly. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, someone else. Don't be left out. Today is your day of salvation. Today is a good day to give your life to Jesus. He'll take your life and make it significant. All right. Everyone, everywhere, online, in the room, just pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I give my life to you today. Take my life and do something significant with it. Today, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I declare that I am born again. I am saved. I am your child. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I will walk this journey successfully. Amen. Now, can there be a rejoicing? Can there be a celebration in the house over God's children who have committed their lives to him? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. If you're, if you're sick in any part of your body, I don't care what it is, I want you to put your hand there. Or if you're in the room, just lift your hand. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. Thank you, Father, for healing. Healing is a children's bread. So I command sickness out of your body in the name of Jesus, out of your family. The Lord will bless your bread and your water as you serve him and take sickness from the midst of you. Thank you, Father. You are loving Father. You heal us completely. Spirit, soul, and body. We bless you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your healing. We receive it. We receive it. Yes, you are the Lord that heals me. You are the Lord that heals us. We receive it. Thank you, Father. If God does a miracle for you, I want you to testify. Just go to our website, worshipharvest.org, write an email to pastor at worshipharvest.org. All right, pastor at worshipharvest. Many people have been texting me with lots of amazing miracles. Every week, lots of miracles. Yours is available as well. Amen. I get a sense that some people, uh, that thing I talked about, you're facing a diff uh, uh, an insurmountable mountain. I want us to pray about it, even as our time runs short. If you are that person, you're facing what seems like a big mountain. I just want you to put your hand up. I'm going to pray with you right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Father, I speak to these mountains. I speak to that mountain before you. Whether it's a mountain of health, whether it's a mountain of finance, a mountain of work, a mountain of relationship, I command that mountain to be cast in the midst of the sea right now in the name of Jesus. 
you shall walk plainly and not be hindered. You shall walk plainly and not be hindered. You shall walk and not be hindered. Thank you, Father, for you are the one who moves them. But we speak to them and you move them. We've spoken to them. We are waiting for these miracles. We bless you, Father. You're good. Father, I speak abundance of provision upon your children this morning. They will lack no good thing. I command resources to start moving towards you, wherever you are, whoever you are, who has been experiencing need. Whatever money is locked up, people who have not paid you for the work you've done, I release it in the name of Jesus. I release abundance, abundance, abundance. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. And friends, may God bless you. May he cause his face to shine on you and give you peace. May he reveal himself to you. May he connect you to a good spiritual family that will love you and help you grow in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all and forever. Amen. Thanks so much for coming out. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching. We hope that you've been blessed by the Worship Harvest Sermon Series. For more teachings and other resources, visit www.worshipharvest.org or call 0393-281-555. That is 0393-281-555.